My text is in the <coughs> Epistle of James and chapter 4 and verse 14. James chapter 4 and verse 14. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. The particular phrase that drew my attention in that verse was this particular line, for what is your life? And I'm sure that everybody here in this congregation tonight, and I should imagine that all people, sometime or another, are bound to ask themselves that question, uh, why am I here? What is the meaning of life? And we puzzle over the meaning of self-existence. And sometimes, like the psalmist, we look up into the skies and see the stars and all the heavenly bodies, and we wonder, well, how is it that they are there? Who made them? And how can they be there? What are these heavenly bodies? And during our lives, sometimes when we are children, I can remember around about the age of eight or nine, being very worried about two things. I was worried about space. I began to think if we went for millions of miles in one direction and then came to the end of it, what then? And then I realized I had to be something beyond the end. And as a little child, it got me confused. Then I began to think of time. Uh, who made God, I thought, and who was God's father? I was but a child and trying to sort these things out. And I came to the conclusion that God always had to be. But where was the beginning of things? And where did things end? And how big was eternity? And how vast was it all? And what was the meaning of time? I thought of those things in a childlike way. And I'm sure that we all at some time or another have thought of these things above the order of the day where we do our shopping or our work in our house or our particular uh, work or obligations at work or whatever they may be, that every now and again we pause in our lives and we, we consider and we begin to think. It can be a sorrow or a bereavement, a sudden shock, whatever it may be that makes us think of these things. What is the meaning of life? And is there an afterlife? But really, you know, it doesn't start like that at all. The Bible doesn't even pretend to, to prove God. It begins with a statement about God. In the beginning, God. And that's why we are here tonight, because we, we believe in this inerrant, infallible, and inspired word, that it is the word of God. And the one who is written through men by the Holy Spirit, the one who has given us this Bible, is the great creator and upholder of all things. Nothing can live or exist without the permission of God. We live, move, and have our being by the mercy of God, the God in whose hand our breath is. That is our God. And he is our creator. He and he is our maker. The question is the other way around. What does he think of our lives? What is my life in his sight? What are we like in the sight of this great and this glorious and this powerful God? 
And then perhaps we begin to consider these things. And when we are considering these things seriously, I believe then that the Holy Spirit is beginning to work in our hearts and stirring us to consider uh, the meaning of life and of eternity, uh, of where we shall spend eternity, of heaven and of hell, and of facing God and the meaning of such things. A verse like this brings thoughts like that to me. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, how limited we are. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And yet we don't live like that. Uh, I'd like to bring, first of all, to this point and bring another part of Scripture to your attention as well. The, the preparations of life. We are so busy. I'm sure that if I asked every one of you here tonight, have you got plenty of time? Your answer to me would be that your lives are very full and that we are also very busy and it is very hard to fit everything in, all the things that we have to achieve, all the things that we have on our minds. This is how we are. And James put it like this, go to now, he says in verse 13, go to now, he that say today or tomorrow, uh, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. We talk like that, not exactly in that same kind of terminology, but we say this, this summer, I, I believe I'll go on a holiday to such and such a place. Uh, we'll make our booking now. We'll decide about that. I, I think about what I will take, the clothes I shall wear, uh, the places I shall visit, um, and things relating to that. Or it may be in business that by a certain month I intend to do this, that and the other, and we are full of our, our own affairs and getting gain, as he says here, that we go to a city for a year, buy and sell and get gain. And yet, we have no such authority. The following verse is a, a very sober one, or the verse, the beginning of this verse. For whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. Look at verse 13 again. Go to now ye that say, today or tomorrow ye will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Well, you're talking like that, says James. Uh, how can you talk like that? Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanishes away. There are many things in our lives that cause us to think of thoughts like that. I have many, but I think I, I have one that I'd like to share tenderly with you and also with sensitivity and one that you all know about as well. But yet you know there have been so many tragedies in this world that as we grieve and sorrow for those who suffer in one great tragedy, then next week there's another which seems to eclipse that one, then another, then another, then something the other end of the world, then something near at home, until in the end we don't even know the times or the dates or when things happened. But there are some things that remain. And for me, I think there's something that seemed to be it didn't seem to be anything at all. It seemed to be just another day in November. It had been raining a great deal. Grey, dark days, miserable days that we in the West are, are quite used to. A, a kind of a, you have a grey feeling for that kind of day. Not particularly miserable, but another day without sunshine. And it had rained a great deal for weeks and weeks. And then we happened to have the news on. 
You know, they can, one thing can happen in a day, and that day changes all its meaning. There is no other news then, and there is no other interest. I don't want to take advantage of this, but to mention it with reverence. It was an announcement that said that a little town of about six or seven thousand people, a mountain had slipped and fallen on the school. But the first news didn't seem to be so bad. It just said that the, that the main doors seemed to be blocked. We didn't know then that the total thing had happened then. The news came in, in ways like that. And, and I thought to myself, well, those children will be excited and they'll be making such a fuss and thinking of the few hundred children who will be there. And then the news became more serious and said, it may be very difficult to get to these children. And as the hours went on, you began to realize that there was no hope. There was no hope. And there were those terrible photographs uh, that they could not get even one child complete. The terrible, terrible story of it all. We didn't think at the beginning of that day it would be such a day as that. And I can remember the following Lord's Day, uh, that I knew that all things are in the hands of God, and I believe in the absolute wisdom and the sovereignty of God. Believe those things with all my heart and being. And yet it seemed so hard as we stood as a congregation in prayer to remember the poor families and the fathers and the mothers in a town that no longer had any children apart from two or three who stayed home that day. A kind of a nightmare of a thing. And I can remember well a year later uh, with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the late Dr. Lloyd-Jones, he was taking a memorial service that was relayed in all the chapels in the town that were full for that occasion. And I read and I prayed and then he preached. And I remember what he said. You are all asking why. Why was there such a day as this? Why had that day to happen in our lives? And very tenderly he said, Shall I tell you why? It isn't because of your fault. It isn't because of anything in your town or your village. Although you, like all other people, are in the same condemnation, it is because of the fall. And that is why we have great catastrophes. That is why we have wars and rumors of wars. That's why men lust and greed. That's why we have these terrible things. That's the reason why. And very tenderly he explained to them that we all lived under this terrible cloud and this terrible malaise of human beings and then turned our thoughts to the grace of God and to the kingdom of God and to the weight of glory and to everlasting things. But it, it remained with me and will remain with me and I suppose with many people, particularly that sad town, which is still a sad town, with a gap in its generation, a generation gap. Uh, that is usually, usually in a very careless way, in a way I do not agree with in the world when they say that young and old people don't agree with one another. Here is a terrible generation gap, a gap that can never be filled, a day that we never thought we'd see. Many countries have had tragedies on a greater scale, but there's something about a school and little children I shall not forget. 
This verse then to me, where does he know not? We just don't know. Where does he know not what shall be on the morrow? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. There is one thing that is certain. We do not know what the morrow holds, and yet, strangely, with diligence, we give attention to it as if we knew how many hours exactly would be ours, how many minutes were at our disposal, how many days, how many weeks, how many years, as if we were the master of our days, as if we were our own makers and our own creators. We live like that and forget our limitation. We forget the frailty of man and the brevity of our lives. Our Lord Jesus Christ was talking to people at one time and he gave them a parable. And you know the parable well and you'll remind you of it because it marries well with the, the get gain and how we fill our lives and so suddenly we are pulled up with something that we never thought would happen in our lives. And he spake a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully and he thought within himself saying, why, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? A, a very happy worried man, uh, not the kind of worry what, what shall I do how shall I pay for this or how shall I pay for that but a kind of worry that he would tell us I suppose we rich men have worries that you poor men know nothing about I lie awake at night and I wonder where am I going to put all my money where how am I going to deal with all my prosperity how am I going to manage with all the business I have the responsibilities that weigh upon my little shoulders and the worries that seem to whiz around in my little head uh, what shall I do? I have no room to put all these things. That kind of worry we may not have much sympathy with. And yet we can be guilty of lying in our bed at night and thinking of what shall I get and what shall I do? What shall I have? He was doing that. And he said, he came to a conclusion and a solution of his problem. This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. He'd had a brainwave. I'll find a bigger bank that can hold my money. I'll find a bigger barn that can hold my fruits. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and goods. And a great feeling of relief filled his whole being, a great wave of happiness and self-satisfaction of thinking, I solved my problem, I know exactly what I will do, and tomorrow, immediately, diligently, uh, and with all my efforts, uh, I will get about solving this problem of mine. But he never thought. He never thought that he would not have the morrow to do that. And I will say to my soul, So thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees. Eat, drink, and be merry. You're doing very, very well. 
You're doing very nicely. There's no need for you to work as hard now. Uh, you can still be successful and prosperous. And money makes money. And prosperity gains prosperity. And let money earn its own money. And then you can take your ease uh, and drink and be merry. Uh, that is what you'll do. What will you do in your life? Uh, well, I've been a very busy man. I've worked hard all my life. I'm a self-made man. I'm prosperous. And now I'm a very happy man. Because I will eat, drink and be merry. That is exactly what I'll do. That is what I want to do. What possessions can do to a man? I remember reading in some book a phrase, the tyranny of things. It's a good phrase. The tyranny of things. Near my church in Cardiff, it's far enough away for it to be impersonal enough and the person that I'm referring to now could not be known to anyone is no longer there. A little shop was taken over by a very hard working man. It was a grocer shop. He was a very pleasant man. He cut prices. I don't know how he made money, but I think it was because if any shop was open, his shop was open. Uh, yes, late at night, if you've forgotten something, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, that shop next door to our chapel, our church, it would be open. It was open always. A busy, busy place. And he worked, and he worked, and he slaved. He was open on Sunday, sadly. He was open on Easter time. He was open Christmas Day. It seemed as if there was no day at all that made any difference. But make money, get gain, buy, sell, buy, sell. That seemed to be him altogether. Then the shop next door became empty and he bought it. Uh, and to make it briefer, in the end he bought four or five of the shops. Uh, and then he made it so as they can today that he became one massive supermarket. And he became successful. But you know, if you try to talk to that man, you are not talking to a man, you are talking to a shop. He thought shop, he slept shop, he ate and drank shop, he, he only walked to and from the shop. And when eventually he went from the shop, it was only to sell that shop to get a bigger shop. It's as if there was a point where he ceased to be a person and he was a shop I thought that can happen it can happen on a smaller scale and yet totally on the same scale as, as a person is concerned the, the, the tyranny of things the tyranny of things dwelling upon it thinking upon it thinking of ways and means cut prices yes getting gain all the while advancing and all the while Losing something so precious. He gave them their heart's desires and he sent leanness to their souls. It is a frightening thing uh, and yet we know that this can happen. The story goes on. The presumption of men you see, we can behave like that. Of course we can. 
We can be as active and as diligent as that in our effort to get gain and fill our mind with our favorite ambition, whether it is money or, or something that is material or popularity or ambition or greed or anything that fills our lives other than God, whatever it may be that we fill the bands of our lives with, whatever it may be. But we presume far too much. We do not consider another factor. And that other factor is God himself. We forget that. And this poor man, whereas he know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Vanisheth away. And that's all there is to it. It's a terrible thing. That's the verse in James that I'm reading to you now. And how is he describing uh, life? Well, like this. You're looking upon a valley, a beautiful valley. Uh, and then you tell your friend, come along uh, and see this lovely valley that I see. And by the time the friend has come, uh, there is a gentle mist hovering over uh, the river that's there in the valley. Uh, and the trees that sur surround each side of the river. And then you say, but there was a very lovely valley there. Uh, but the mist has come. And we look away. And you look again. And the mist has gone. You can't catch it, you can't hold it, you can't tie it, you can't keep it, says James. Your life is as frail as that. You have breath at all because it is God, the God in whose hand thy breath is, we are told in Daniel. Uh, that is where your breath is. And other than that, there is no permission to live, or to be, or to be able to do anything at all. And yet, we, we forget. I can remember an incident I, I recall now. Uh, the phone went and a lady asked me if I would be so kind as to take her husband's funeral. He said, you don't know him. So I, I went round and I said, well, why do you want me to take your husband's funeral? Well, she said, uh, we are not church attending people. And then, of course, you know how people usually say, but uh, we're good living Christians, but uh, we've never attended church. But my husband has been to your church four times when friends of his have died. And it was only last week, he said, he said, if ever I go to church, that's the church I go to. And then she said, the strangest thing, he's made it, hasn't he? I said, but my dear, he hasn't. I couldn't let her say that. I was kind to her, I was gracious to her. I wouldn't in any way hurt her. But he hadn't. When you think what people intend to do, and yet they are so full of doing this and doing that, and yet their little life is as fragile and as frail as a mist. It is here, it is gone, it is visible, it is invisible, as frail as that. And how can we be so certain, so absolutely certain? I've got tomorrow in my hands. I will do this tomorrow, and I will build my little empire, whatever my little ambitious empire may happen to be. But now you rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. And back to the parable. It's so closely linked. 
But God, the births of the Bible, do you notice them? But God said unto him, Thou fool. You know, it's a terrible thing to call a man a fool. There are some things that if you call a person, uh, they, they, are, they are allowable in a way in the world that men will allow you to call them uh, when they call names on each other. Uh, but there are two words that they cannot bear to be call, called, even though the two words may be well descriptive of them. If you say to a man who, could hand, who is incapable of truth, if you say to him, you're a liar, he feels deeply insulted that he should be called a liar even though he may be one and even though he may be a man totally lacking in wisdom if you call him a fool there is rage in his heart to think that you should call him a fool but our Lord does here but God said unto him thou fool why is he calling you a fool he is risking his immortal soul that's why He's playing shipwreck of any hope that can be for everlasting life in glory and with God. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be, those things be, which thou hast provided? You must have seen it, and I've seen it. Our people have quarreled even at the graveside. Hardly has the service finished. On one occasion, I can remember of a godless family where they began to argue and quarrel about the things that they had to have. They wanted this and they wanted that. It seemed an incredible thing. But in the in the experience of a minister, I think you get the whole spectrum of behaviour that is possible to to observe and to experience, to know and see. They'll be after your things. Oh yes, your family and your friends will say, I'll have a share, and I'll have a share, and you'll not be able to say exactly where they will go. Thou fool, these things, you have to let them go. When all around the world gives way, what is going to be your hold and stay? What are you going to hold on to? Thou fool, this night thy soul, thy immortal soul, shall be required of thee. So is he that layeth a treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Where are we? Where are we? Do you remember the words, the terrifying words, that where your heart is, that's your treasure. That's your heart, that's your treasure. How a man thinketh, what we dwell on, what we desire, that's you, that's me. Does it make us not rather to cry out in mercy, Oh God, is that myself? Is that all I am? 
Is that all I am crawling about in the things and the trinkets and the material things of this world, desiring a little extension of life in order only to get more gain? Is that all I am, Lord? Can there not be more than that? And there can when the Holy Spirit of God begins to work upon the soul of a man, then great things can happen. Even impossible people can turn to God. Wonderful things can happen. But how do they happen? Lastly, the provision of God. Back to James. For what he ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. I can remember when I was a young boy and in the congregation, the Welsh Presbyterian Chapel that I attended, and each one I attended in different places where we lived as a family, uh, when the uh, secretary of the elders would get up to give the announcements for the following week, this is how he would begin. God willing, these other meetings we hope by his mercy to hold next week. And there was, wasn't there, in that time, a great awareness of God. And we saw things in a different kind of light. We saw the events in the world as they were and as they affected the church of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. A great awareness of God himself for what he ought to say. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. An acknowledgement of God. We begin there, an acknowledgement of the creator and the upholder of all things. And by him, all things consist, live, move, have our being because of the greatness of the power of our creative God. You cannot exclude God in your thinking. I wonder if there is any one of us here tonight that thinks about many things. Do you exclude God? We can even be reasonably good people and yet we exclude God from our thinking. That we cannot do. If the Lord will, we shall live tonight and do this or that. If the Lord will, we shall be alive tomorrow and do this or that and what he's telling us here and leading us into this is a recognition of the greatness of God and the absolute sovereignty of God and the absolute authority of God where do I stand in relation to the will of God and what is my life then in the light of this great God what will he call me will he call me a fool or will he call me his child. It's one or the other. For surely it must be one or the other. For he who is not his child must be a fool. For he has neglected the great things and the great issue of eternity and the immortality of his soul and of the day of judgment and of the wrath of God and of the favor of God. Of course a man is a fool if he neglects such things. Then how can we know his favor? In this epistle, 
in the first chapter, in verses 17, it's as if a window opened and gave us a glimpse of something of the greatness and the power and the loveliness of God. Let me read you the verses. For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. He says, let's begin there. Every good gift and every perfect gift, where does it come from? Is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The immutability of God, the unchanging character of God, because of the perfection of all his attributes, there is no need, uh, can there ever be any improvement or any change, because he is perfect from, from the very essence of his being in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. When we walk, a shadow goes this way and that way, shortens and lengthens. But, but with God, there is no variableness. There is a straightness, a rightness, a purity, a holiness about our God, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning never will he deviate O oh Lord bend your rules a little to the left or to the right no I am constant constant in my holiness constant in my righteousness of purer eyes that cannot behold sin what are you like O oh God here is described as a father of lights the father of righteousness dwelling in holiness dwelling in righteousness dwelling in depths of burning light and a soul might cry out like this man wrote once eternal light eternal light how pure the soul must be when placed within thy searching sight it shrinks not but with calm delight can live and look on thee oh how can I whose nature's fear is dark whose mind is dim before for the ineffable appear or upon my naked spirits bear the uncreated beam there is a way for man to rise to that sublime abode an offering a sacrifice a holy spirit energies an advocate with god father of lights in whom there is no variableness, absolute purity and righteousness, and no one can have fellowship with him unless they find a righteousness that matches, equals, is acceptable to the righteousness of God. Oh, how can I? Oh, how can I? Whose native fear is dark, whose mind is dim before the ineffable appear or upon my naked spirit bear the uncreated being do you remember the next verse of his own will begat he us with a word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures there's hope there's hope for the hopeless and the helpless. 
we who are sinful by nature and whatever degree of sin it is we are helplessly and hopelessly far uh, there is I suppose a difference in a way but what difference can there be if some of us have sins that are like the Himalayan range uh, and others uh, maybe like the Pyrenees uh, and others like the Scottish mountains and others like the Welsh mountains what is that from the heights of eternity they're all about the same size in comparison to the perfection of God in eternal lives oh how can I whose native sphere is dark whose mind is dim before the ineffable appear or upon my naked spirit bear the uncreated beam he begets us by the word of truth it is a new birth it is a new dimension it is an invasion of the spiritual it is an intervention of the grace of God for where are men going no man ever chooses hell every man and woman in the world are heading headlong towards hell in any case it is only a divine intervention that can arrest them and turn them into a direction which is Godward. It is mercy and the grace of God that will do this. A stirring in the depths of our being, a dissatisfaction with things, and beginning to see that my shop or my ambition or my ability or my talent or this or that did not help me in my sorrow, did not strengthen me in my weakness, is not helping me in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm beginning to see that there is a weakness in these things that we see, have, and hold, and we begin to think of the, the invisible God. And at last, the word of truth. How many times in this building have men and women come to the ministers at that time, any time in its history, and would say something like this, why did you not preach that before? It's been preached many, many times. We can answer why. They heard for the first time. We hear and yet we are deaf. We see and yet we do not see. Until one day the eyes of our understanding are enlightened and we see and we hear and we begin to see the wonder of it all. We begin to see our unworthiness. What is this word of truth? The word of truth about myself is this, that I am sinful and that the wages of sin is death and that is a second death it is a living thing it is eternal damnation in hell there is no reprieve there is no end to it it continues where we hate and are hated and where there is no hope only utter despair and however much we might desire there is no desire that can bring us out or bridge that can bridge the gap there is a great gulf fixed that is where I am going and then he turns my eyes to see the loveliness of Jesus Christ how can a sinful thing like me how can I with a mind like mine and a heart like mine and a life like mine that is my life. 
and I'm spending it like a tailor just told that is my life oh how can I whose native sphere is dark whose mind is dim before the ineffable appear the word of truth and then we are shown by the grace of God the loveliness of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley and the fairest of ten thousand to our souls our bright and morning stars Emmanuel of the line of David Messiah Jesus Christ the anointed one the son of God perfect humanity absolute deity this great son of God and in the fullness of time he took on the fall of a servant and he came into this world what is he doing it is a great divine rescue mission he comes to live to die and to die that we might live think of his cross he lived a perfect life in my stead fulfilled the law for you and me and then on that cross on that cross he paid the penalty for our sin do you understand its meaning do you understand may I give you a little illustration there I was in a preaching mission somewhere in the south of England and a lady came to me a fine lady Christian lady and she said that she'd been visiting her brother and that he had come to the Lord shortly before he died. She said he'd always been a very keen churchgoer, church officer, very diligent and a good man, as the world would say. And yet he had no peace and he had his terminal illness. And although she lived many hundreds of miles away, she went to see him. And she said, how is it with your soul? And he said, well, I've been confessing my sins to God. Have you got peace? No. Now she knew what she was doing. Then she said, maybe you've not confessed them all. I'll leave you an hour or two. She came back. Have you got peace, my brother? No. Then she said, well, I can remember what you were like when you were a young man. I can remember some as well. You may have forgotten them. And she reminded him of some. Some he remembered and some not. And he thanked her. And he said, I confess those now to God. And he went on. And the following day she came to see him and he said, I have no peace. And he said, have you got peace? She said, yes. Well, what do you mean? I have peace with God. I am a forgiven person. I rest upon the merits of Jesus Christ. I have assurance of salvation because I stand by the grace of God on redemption ground. But he said, could you remember all your sins? No, I could remember some. But what did you do? I came as I was. What do you mean, he said? Well, she said, I knew I was a sinful person. 
I could remember some of my sins. God would know them all. But all I did before God, I said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he understood. And came as a sinner to Jesus. For there you see, nailed on the cross, all is there. He pays the penalty in full. It hardly seems bearable to be able to say, Oh, was there ever suffering like this? What a wondrous cross this was. There were many crosses, but not like this one. Never was there such a weight as this. When he looked into the cup in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he looked there, he, he said, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Uh, and yet he went through with it uh, and drank as if it were the iniquity of it all. Uh, he, he never became sinful but there was counted to him imputed to him our sin and he pays a penalty yes it is a crucifixion yes there are nails yes there are falls they are there and the insult and the shame of it all but the suffering was equal to the intensity of eternity in hell my God my God why hast thou forsaken me never was a penalty paid in full in full past present future that's not an excuse to sin God forbids says Paul he pays a penalty of what we are in full then the grace of God stirs in our hearts and we cry out. He gives us grace to repent. He gives us grace to believe. By grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And we are embraced and do embrace our blessed Saviour. And what is our standing now? It always remains the same. By faith we appropriate the righteousness of Christ and the forgiveness of sins to ourselves which justifies us in the sight of God. Our sins are forgiven. We have peace with God and that never changes. My feelings may come and go. My, mo my moods may alter dramatically but the relationship with God through saving faith always remains the same. Not an excuse to sin. Of gratitude and grace on God to go on to be not like unto him, but our salvation always will rest on the finished work of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. With our minds, he enlightens us to understand that he died for me, for you. With our hearts, he moves us to feel that he loved like this for you for me and with our will he enables us to come and believe in him by the grace of God we are begotten we are reborn we are brought into a new dimension there is hope for the hopeless uh, he says in this epistle humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and what will he do and he shall lift you up what a different story 
What a miserable story it is for many people when they've been too busy. I remember one man saying to me, you know, I, I'm very interested in evangelical Christianity, but I've got a problem. He said, I'm a very busy man. He said these words to me. He came for a couple of Sundays and then he said, this is my problem. He said, I've got no room for the services. I do such a lot of business on Sunday and call so many friends in. I have no room. And I challenged him and said, is it that you're saying that you have no room for God in your hearts? He was a fool. A man is a fool. A man is wise. If he begins to seek those things of God and to call to God for mercy and to know of riches that are so very different. What can there be more wonderful than to be forgiven? To be clean? What can there be more wonderful to be an heir of glory to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us? What can be more wonderful than to have an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ? What can be more wonderful than to be welcomed by God himself who wipes away our tears and there to dwell in glory and see our God? and live. May I close with an illustration I read a long time ago in a book by a man called Beitner. The book was called Immortality. The illustration was not his, but he, I don't think he said where it came from, so if he could quote it, I think I can. It's a lovely one. The difference between thou fool this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And this, the death of a believer. And the comparison was this, of a sailing ship. And this would be very relevant in your case, in an island like this. And think of the times of a sailing ship. And there she is in the harbour of this life. The ship is a person. And there he or she, uh, we call the ship like that, the, in, in, in the harbour of this life. Uh, but all around on the harbour are able to say, uh, uh, we know that, that she, she will not be long before she leaves. She's lifting her anchor. She's setting out. She's got, no, she hasn't, she's still here. And then there's a movement. And then begins slowly to go out of the harbour. And other friends and the relatives are thinking uh, about this person and this loved person and this person who had faith and this faith that was just going to change in the sight and they see uh, this beautiful sailing ship uh, this soul as it were uh, going smaller and smaller uh, until it, at the end it comes on the horizon and it is a, a mere dot on the horizon but it is only a dot to them and the dot disappears but it has only disappeared in their eyes for there is another shore and on that other shore there is another harbour the harbour of the haven of the glory of God and there the multitudes of heaven are saying see here she comes and as she comes larger and fuller in sail and enters full sail into the everlasting harbour kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and that is dying for the believer 
there seems as if there could not be a choice between them, as if they could never be. There was a gentleman who was a preacher in our congregation. His, I think he had read his Bible over 80 times from beginning to end. He used to sit in a wheelchair and come there and preach from the, from the big seat there. And he was taken ill and uh, he was in hospital. And we have some of the nurses in our congregation now who remember this. He said to the sister, now, sister, he said, tonight I am going to die. Oh, no, 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 you're not. You mustn't think about this thing. Yes, I am, he said. I'm not worried. I'm going home and I want to go home. Tonight I'm going to die. What do you want? I want all the doctors that have attended me. I want all the nurses and I want you sisters. I want you around my bed with my family. And I want you, whether you believe in God or not, to watch a Christian die and see me sailing into glory. He had the privilege of that. Do we think like that? For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. For we know not what shall be in the morrow. For what is your life? It is a vapor. It is here for a while. Then vanish it away. But Lord, is there any more? We have an immortal soul. And our souls are incapable of death. They cannot die. They may try to die. They cannot die. It will live. And the question is this. Will I be a fool? Or will I be a child of grace? Will my soul be embraced by my blessed Savior? Or will I be so trapped in the tyranny of things that my eyes can only behold the things that I can grasp and see and touch, feel, know, rather than come to that knowledge which is a knowledge of God, that peace which passes all understanding, that grace that keeps us so firmly in adversity and in prosperity that we know where we are going. We belong to God. And that no power in hell or in earth is able to take away that relationship from us. Let us pray. Almighty God and our Heavenly Father, we ask thee in thy mercy to look upon us now. And pray, O Lord, for us as a people here, O merciful God, wilt thou grant that there may be mercy towards us according to our need. And for those who are on the brink of faith, for those who are beginning to be stirred by thy spirit, we ask thee, O Lord, that they may be given grace to believe for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen.